Welcome. Church of the Advent is an Anglican congregation in Denver, Colorado, that seeks to share in the life of God by redefining and reorienting everything around the gospel of Jesus Christ. We hope you are challenged, encouraged, and move closer toward the gospel by this week's message. So weaving in and out of this what question, what is the church, is the question of why is the church? Why does the church do what it does? Along the way, I'm going to try to address a question on many hearts is, why ought I give to my... Why, why ought I give myself to a church, um, even when it can be hard or it can be hurtful, or maybe it's even been scandalizing for some of you? I want to begin with the what question by going back to the very beginning of the story. When I said last week that, and many people say, Pentecost is the birthday of the church. You've probably heard it before. That's half true. You could say that the church actually began in earnest with Adam, or at the very least with Abraham and his call. Well, here's my case. How many of you consider yourself a Bible nerd? Anyone? Nice and high. Don't be embarrassed. Um, you're going to be on the hook, though, if you raise your hand. So those of you who consider yourself Bible nerds, um, there's this common thought that the, the Gospels are a story of recreation. And if someone says the Gospels are telling a story of recreation, where do they usually go to point out that fact? Garden of Eden. Genesis. Well, okay, Close. Which gospel begins with the same words that Genesis 1 begins with? In the beginning. So John especially is telling a story of of recreation. Well, there's another parallel that is is less often noticed that I want to point out. Um, And Jesse, if you could bring up the three scriptures. There's a parallel between Genesis 1, the Great Commission of Jesus in 28, and the promise of the Holy Spirit in Acts 1. So in Genesis 1, we read of God creating and commissioning human beings. God says, let us make human beings in our image, reflecting our nature. And then God blesses them, and he says, prosper, reproduce, fill the earth. And in, the, in Genesis 2, we also read the story of God breathing the breath of life, the power of life into Adam. Then Matthew 28, we read of Jesus commissioning his disciples, go and make disciples of all nations, fill the earth, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, the breath of life teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Reflect my ways, my glory. And then finally in Acts 1, Jesus says, you will receive power. And again, we imagine the breath of life coming into Adam. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses to Jerusalem and to Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. Do you see it? There's power of the Spirit to reflect God's ways to the ends of the earth. So in sending the Spirit and in sending them out to fill the earth, what is Jesus doing? He's creating and commissioning his disciples in a way that parallels God's creation and commissioning of human beings generally. In both cases, God says to his people, I've blessed and empowered you to reflect my nature. Now go out and reproduce and fill the earth. So what's going on here? N.T. Wright uses a great analogy that I'm going to be using this morning. He says that God made Adam and Eve to be angled mirrors. All human beings have been made, you and I, have been made to be angled mirrors. This is your reason for existing, to be an angled mirror who reflects the supreme glory and goodness of God to his creation, and then in turn reflects the relative glory and goodness of creation back to God in praise and in gratitude. We're going to get to that in a minute. That's our whole existence of living. That's what we're doing here every morning in church. God blessed human beings for a purpose in order that they would be a blessing to all creation. 
So human beings were made to be angled mirrors, but plot twist, the fall, Genesis 3. They reject God's rule in the garden. They turn away. Instead of eating the blessed food, they eat the forbidden fruit, thereby ceasing to be the angled mirror, thereby ceasing to mirror God's ways to the world in the way they were intended to. Now, what's the unhappy result of this? We read in Genesis 3, there's a relational breakdown, there's a spiritual breakdown, there's a physical breakdown, there's an even ecological breakdown of creation's original goodness. Ultimately, then, God's response is to launch a restoration project through a man named Abraham. And we read about it, we read it this morning in Genesis 12, beginning in verse 1 through 3. Last week I said Ezekiel 10 was my like sleeper MVP pick for the Old Testament. Genesis 12 is another one. Without understanding Genesis 12, 1 through 3, you will not understand the grand story the Bible is telling. So here it is. Creation, fall, Genesis 1 through 11, everything is spiraling down like a vortex of sin and destruction. And finally, Genesis 12 is the beginning of a new project. God calls Abraham. He says, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, curse those who curse you. All the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. But don't miss the point. It's obvious. The point of Abraham's call. He's blessed, yes. Why? Why is he blessed? To be a blessing. Abraham becomes the father of Israel, God's people, who exist for this purpose, to be an angled mirror, to reflect God's light, God's ways, God's goodness to the nations around them, and in turn to reflect the world's goodness back to God in grateful praise. Israel, in other words, is to be a community who model to a relationally and spiritually and physically and ecologically broken world how to be human, how to be whole again, how to live a good and flourishing life, how to do justice and love mercy and walk humbly with God. Now, the remainder of the Old Testament is, of course, the story of how Israel took one step forwards and two steps back until they were in exile in Babylon without their land, without their temple, without their king, without their God. Like Adam, Israel had failed. But then the New Testament begins with this this spark of hope. Matthew 1.1, how does it begin? The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of Abraham. Jesus is going to be the faithful Israelite. Jesus is going to be the faithful Adam. Jesus' life perfectly reflects the justice and the mercy and the humility and the love of God to his world. And likewise, he offers to, the world, to God in the form of his very flesh. He offers the world back to God as a living sacrifice of praise. Jesus is this angled mirror. Now, the question before us is, what and why is the church? If you read in Acts 1, you will notice that Luke spends a lot of scroll space on replacing the betrayer Judas with a new apostle. Why does he take all this scroll space to tell this story? They cast lots and they elect. Because 11 won't do, will it? Why will 11 not do? Why must there be 12? Bible nerds? 12 tribes of Israel. Though the mission of God is taking a new form, the mission of Jesus is not a new mission. It's the mission given to Israel, to Abraham, even in some ways to Adam. The Bible is telling one story. Do you see this? In fact, the Greek behind the word church is ekklesia, as many of you know. That's the same word used in the Greek translation of the Old Testament to describe the assembly of Israel at Sinai. If Adam faltered and God relaunched his restoration project through Israel, and if Israel faltered and God relaunched his restoration project through Jesus, the true Israelite, then Acts. Acts is the story of God and his restoration project finally flourishing into its original goal, the goal that always has been. 
So what is the church? The church is a multiplying movement. Fill the earth, right? A multiplying movement of people who are, like Adam, like Abraham, called to be angled mirrors. The church is an assembly of people, an ecclesia, that's what ecclesia is, an assembly, of people who are given God's glory, they are given God's grace, God's words, God's sacraments, and His goodness, in order that they can then reflect God's glory and goodness to the ends of the earth, and who can then reflect the goodness of the world back to God in grateful worship and praise. That was always God's mission. Multiply out, fill the earth with my blessing, and now Pentecost in Jerusalem becomes the epicenter of this spiritual earthquake that sends this life-bringing tsunami out into Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. And that's, that's the outline of the book of Acts. Acts 1.8 is the outline. The gospel message begins in Jerusalem, and then it goes to Judea, and then it goes to Samaria, and then it goes to the ends of the earth. Okay, so that was some dense biblical theology. Let's just pause and ask, what does this mean? Let's try to apply this. I want to say two things. First, it means the church's mission is unimaginably comprehensive. It's cosmic, you might say. And second, the church's mission is irreducibly communal. It's communal. So first, it's comprehensive. You know, the end goal of the church's life and of our life together is not just to get people to pass a theology exam. It's not just to get people to say the sinner's prayer and then maybe tithe a little bit along the way. In, in our terminology, the church's end goal is first to receive and then to reorient everything around life in Christ. Everything. Because Jesus Christ is the only Adam, the only Israelite, the only human being whose mirror, you might say, is angled properly. Perfect in justice, perfect in mercy, utterly humble. He loved without restraint to the very end, without hesitation, without self-interest. He reflected the goodness of God without spot or blemish, the very image of the invisible God. And so when we receive his life through his spirit, something incredible happens in us. Yes, we are at once forgiven for our injustice and our cruelty and our selfishness and our pride. We're justified. And we enter into this lifelong process of apprenticing Jesus, learning how to be angled mirrors, learning life abundance, becoming more and more healthy, becoming more and more human, becoming more and more whole. That's what we're made for. So the church's mission isn't just to get people to accept Jesus. It's to cooperate with God's comprehensive and ancient purposes from the very beginning to restore all things. To see, as Amos says, justice roll down like the waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. So as we are forgiven and we are transformed, our transformation, it's like a, when you throw a rock into a pond and it ripples out. It's meant to ripple out from here to the ends of the earth. That's why Christians invented hospitals and Christians invented orphanages and Christians pioneered the greatest advances in, in education and the sciences and human rights and care for the poor that the world has ever known. As we are forgiven and transformed, we are to be a blessing to others, to one another and beyond. The mission of God is comprehensive. Do you see it? And secondly, it's irreducibly communal. God's mission begins with Adam. It begins with Abraham. It begins with Jesus, yes. And then immediately, what is, that, what is Adam? He says to Adam, multiply, fill the earth. What does he say to Abraham? Go. What does Jesus say to his disciples? Be my witnesses. It's always multiplying. God's mission is a restored community, not just individuals in isolation. It's a community, an ecclesia, that models forgiveness and flourishing to the world. A gathering of angled mirrors who together bl blaze with the glory of God. If you've seen the movies, imagine the final battle scenes in the Deathly Hollows. 
What if at the Battle of Hogwarts, it's only Professor McGonagall's wand that flickers with a lonely light pointed up against the armies of Voldemort? Can the church be me and my Bible and a cortado at Starbucks on a Sunday morning? Can the church be my, my favorite podcast preacher in my AirPods and, and a lovely hike? Can, can I go to church exclusively online? If we know what the church is, we'll be able to answer these questions. So catch church online when you're sick. Yes, great. Devour Tim Mackey podcasts all you want. He's, he's wonderful. I love him. Go study your Bible at your favorite coffee shop. So good. Yes, good for the soul. But when you are doing these things, who's being blessed? You are. You are blessed to be a blessing, and it's only in community. When you are actually living long-term in relationships with people, that you can then bless others. You have been blessed with this little light, but it's when you lend that light to the ecclesia, to the gathered assembly, that you are joining in the mission of God. Not just to be blessed, but to be a blessing, especially by loving and serving your brothers and sisters in Christ. Am I making sense? So what is the church? We've, we've begun to answer. Further clarity comes as we look at Acts 2.42, which we're going to look at especially next week, but we're just going to begin this week by looking at the first thing said. Those who welcomed Peter's message, they were baptized. About 3,000 persons were added to their fellowship. And what did they do? They devoted themselves. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers. We're going to look at they devoted themselves the remainder of today, and then next week in the park, we'll look at the rest. 3,000 believers are baptized into the church. Imagine what's going on here. These believers have gathered in Jerusalem for the Pentecost feast from all kinds of languages, from all kinds of backgrounds, all kinds of foods and preferences and relationships to, to conflict and to power and ways of going about life and ways of dressing. There's all kinds of, it's just rife with the potential for conflict, isn't it? Now, Acts goes on to talk about how they work some of that out. But here, we read they're of, they're of one mind. They're devoted to one another. How can this be? This is a work of the Spirit. This is the fundamental principle to everything the Church of Christ does. It devotes itself. Now, what, is, what does devoting something mean? It means giving it up, doesn't it? It means setting it aside for a purpose. It means offering it over, devoting it for a use. They devoted themselves why? Because the animating story of our life together is the self-emptying and devotion of Christ to us, is it not? Christ devoted himself to loving us with such ferocity that it rent his flesh, and it spilt his blood, and it suffocated him to death. That's the story at the center of our life together, loving someone else to death. And so Paul talks about this all the time as he talks about the Christian ethics. Do this and do that or don't do this. Why? Because Ephesians 5 says, Live in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. A fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. That is the animating story of our life together. And that's how 3,000 people from all kinds of different cultures and languages are suddenly loving one another in community because not one of them is asking, what's in it for me? The Spirit of Jesus devoted himself entirely, entirely to others, and that's the Spirit that's animating them. They're asking, what can I give? What can, how can I serve? How can I love? How can I bless? Now listen, if you are here in our church in what's called, well, Tim Mackey calls it fly-on-the-wall mode, we are so glad you're here. 
if, if you're deconstructing maybe, but you're still clinging on, or, or maybe you've been hurt or wounded by a church, or maybe you're just curious about the things of Jesus, but you're not quite on board, and you're just kind of wanting to be a fly on the wall, it's hard to do in this small of a church, so respect for being here. And thank you. You're so welcome here. You really are. I want to acknowledge that for some of us, we're there because we've been hurt. You know, I've been watching the Secrets of Hillsong documentary that just came out and three out of four episodes in. It's a, it's a depressing story um, of, of sexual scandal and, and gross exploitation of volunteers and obsession with money and power and cover-up of abuse. And there's no shortage of headlines along those lines. Many of us have become disillusioned or hurt in some ways by the church, and the wounds can run deep. So why would I urge you to, to, to jump into the, to a local body of Christ that, that's healthy and, and take the risk again? Because as one professor of mine used to say, the church is God's plan A, and there is no plan B. The body of Christ is not reducible to its worst offenses. For now, the wheat and the tares grow side by side, and I am convinced that over 20 years of ministry, for every one offender, there's 100 people who are imperfectly, yes, but, but genuinely trying to love and serve and bless and care. So don't give up on the church. That said, I want to advise you, if you're looking for a church, I had a conversation this week that sort of prompted some of these thoughts. You're here, maybe, or you're, you're church shopping, maybe, or wherever you are. I want to encourage you to look for four things as you look for a church. Go to a church that, one, has an outside accountability structure, one that isn't handpicked by a pastor. For us, that's Bishop Ken. So if, any of, if I or any of our clergy or staff go off the rails, you've got a bishop to go to and be like, Bishop, we need that rod. We need you to come and wrangle the sheep. I've seen him do it effectively. Um, go to a church second that has an outside accountability structure, so, sorry, an inside one, so that the pastor doesn't lead totally in isolation. So for us, that's the vestry. So the vestry handles, for example, the, the finances of our church. Third, reject, uh, don't go to a church that sort of holistically aligns with a political party. It's so enmeshed with the political party because that shows a watered-down allegiance to King Jesus or a watered-down understanding of the gospel. And lastly, ask yourself, is this church growing in generosity? Why? Because I think that one of the main idols we're seeing in much of the church today is power and wealth. And so what is a church that moves in the opposite spirit, in the fruit of the spirit? What is a church that's growing in generosity? Now, any church is going to deal with pockets of unhealth here and there, but these, these marks bode well for a, for a healthy trajectory, at least, of a church. So if you need to be a fly on the wall, welcome. But I also want to say, understand... That has a shelf life. It does have a shelf life. Eventually, the Spirit of God is going to gently nudge you towards devoting yourself to a church community. Why? Not just for, your, for the church's community's sake, but for your sake. Why? You are an angled mirror. You are made for that. You are blessed to be a blessing. You can't inhale forever. You've got to breathe out eventually. You were made to let Christ give yourself away to other people. And if you don't, you're going you're to stagnate. You're going to start festering in resentment. So really, if you need to be, be a fly on the wall, but listen, is the Spirit inviting you now to, to devote yourself a little more? To, to take that next, next step of engagement? Some, some translations, the NRSV I think does, add continually here. They continually devoted themselves because not only does that word devote mean give over, it also means li- literally persistently they persistently, they held fast to, they were continually in these things. Now, the average American spends 20 hours a week watching, 21 hours a week watching TV or engaging media. Not you guys, of course. 
Not me. Never. I'm a pastor. Um, <clears throat> if, you, if you were to be deeply devoted to giving your... And I, this is not to guilt you. This is just for perspective. Okay? I have definitely spent 20 hours a week at some point in my life engaging in media. But I'm just for perspective. If you were to deeply devote yourself to the things Advent is asking and saying, we think this is worth devoting yourself to for your own good and for the good of the community, what it would, that's Sunday morning worship every week, devote yourself to it. That's a life group or a gospel friendship group. Get in, in, in these smaller venues of community and then find one, some way to serve. You know, if you were to do that, I would estimate five to 10 hours a week which would still be half of the average amount of time an American spends. Now, of course, we have our, our like, volunteers of the year that need to be on plaques, you know, who host everything in their home and serve constantly in the sound booth. And up. we have those people who are probably giving more like 15 or 20. Um, but, you know, just what's the next step for you to devote yourself to the ecclesia, to the community of God? Now, Ted Lasso is great. The Nuggets are awesome. Go Nuggets. Doom scrolling or laughing at absurd TikToks. Yes. The internet is a depressing and hilarious place. But (laughs) you were made for this. You were made for this. You were made to be here, devoting yourself to the worship of God, to the reception of His grace, of His words, of His sacraments, and then to, 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 to loving those around you. You're blessed to be a blessing. So here we are this morning, in some ways rehearsing Eden. What do I mean by that? We are receiving God's presence. We're walking with Him right, in his fellowship. We're receiving his words. We're eating the food that he blesses. And then we're loving one another. And we're returning praise to him. We're, we're, we're Adam and Eve in the garden as it should have been. We're the ecclesia. So next week, we're going to get a little more practical. The apostles' teaching, that's the gospel. They devoted themselves to learning the gospel, to soaking themselves in the gospel, to gathering and hearing and, and, and hearing teaching about the gospel. They devoted themselves to fellowship. That word is koinonia, which means much more than Taco Tuesday, which is going to be great and you should come this, this Tuesday at my house. But it's, it's much more than just hanging out and eating food. It's actually really getting at the, the sharing of resources. So we read about that in the subsequent verses. They shared everything. They had everything in common. No one had any need. That's koinonia. It's when you sacrificially give and share so that no one has need. The breaking of bread, that's hanging out and eating tacos, but it's also what the early church did every time it gathered, regularly broke bread and celebrated the Lord's Supper. So we do it every week. And then the prayers. Some translations say to prayer. I think the better translations say to the prayers because Judaism of old had liturgical prayers, which the Christians continue to pray. And there were new liturgical prayers, some of which are in our New Testament. So they were praying liturgically as we do and as we will in a moment with Cindy. So we're going to look at all that next week in the park. It's going to be really fun to talk about money in the park for any passerby. No, Lord. So here's my closing exhortation. Um, Lisa mentioned an off-the-cuff comment this week um, in one of our meetings about Atomic Habits, which is a book that Luke Elmers is reading, her husband's reading. Um, and there's a point in there that she just mentioned that really stuck with me. She said, and, he, and Luke described it to me as I asked him about it, that if you want to develop a habit that sticks, it's a matter of changing your identity, not just developing, uh, forcing yourself into a new habit. So he explained it this way. If you want to lose weight, the habit isn't simply cutting out unhealthy foods. It's seeing yourself as the type of person who cares about health. If you want to avoid spending too much money, the best solution isn't just developing a budget. It's seeing yourself, coming to learn to see yourself as the type of person who is thrifty and who saves money. And so 
the habits naturally flow from your sense of identity because if I train myself to think I'm the type of person who cares about health, then if I'm eating poorly, that's a violation of who I am. Or if I start to see myself fundamentally as an, un, if I see myself fundamentally as an unhealthy person who's trying to follow a diet, then when I fail on following my diet, that's just an af- affirmation of my perceived identity. So if we can just embed this identity deep within us, that's what I'm trying to do this morning. This, this story of the church that I've tried to tell you is an invitation for you to shift or deepen your perspective on, on who you are, on your identity. I hope that you see the comprehensive and communal mission of God through the church, and then you apprehend that you were made for this. Through the church, you were made for this, to come, receive his blessed body and blood, receive his words, receive his blessing, and then as an angled mirror, reflect it out to the world, and then to come on Sundays and take the, you know, if I didn't praise, the the rocks would cry out. So we're summing up the praises of creation and offering it back to him in gratitude. That's Eucharist gratitude. You were made for this. So I want, I'm encouraging you to see yourself and to say to yourself, I am the kind of person who loves the ecclesia. I am devoted to the church of Christ. With these early apostles, I am devoted to the apostles' teaching and the breaking of bread and the fellowship and the prayers. That's who I am. I'm the kind of person who loves the church. The church's one foundation is Jesus Christ, her Lord. She is the new creation by water and the word. From heaven he came and sought her to be his holy bride. With his own blood he bought her, and for her life he died. Father, would you help us love your bride as you do, to love one another as you do, to love ourselves as you do? Would you make us more and more a community that beautifully reflects your blessing and love to the world? and a community that just delights in in returning the world's praise to you. Make us more like you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. We encourage you to take a moment to reflect on what God might be saying to you through what you just heard. For questions, additional information, and resources, please visit adventdenver.com.